0: Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So some interesting action in the precious metals markets and when it's all said and done this past week actually is not ending as poorly as it could have. And that's what I wanna talk about today for a little bit here. So you're looking at a five day chart here. Uh, So most of the week, uh, the week's price action here, I am recording this video shortly before close on Friday. And and I mostly want to focus on the big move up. Well, we'll start from the beginning of the week, okay? That's this move right here. Uh, you you see, see basically a gap down on Sunday night following news that the trade deal was back on, right? News which by the end of this week we're realizing is actually not even close to the truth. Actually, there's a lot that still get worked out and that Trump's, Trump's comments on it initially were are proven to be maybe uh, not telling the whole story there. You see a big gap down though here on sunday night in both gold and silver however going into monday and then finally tuesday we see that almost completely reversed which is not something you oftentimes see in gold you see would amount basically to a big gap up here in the morning a pause and then multiple gap ups into the afternoon and evening and that was for a variety of reasons we saw a safe hidden bid into metals and bonds on on tuesday morning and then in the afternoon and evening, there's a couple of additional things, uh, things like Trump tweets regarding uh, his nominations to the Fed board, uh, including Judy Shelton and uh, I think it was Chris uh, Wallens, I'd have to, I'd have to look at his actual name, uh, a member at the, the St. Louis uh, Federal Reserve, which I think a lot of people saw as fairly dovish picks, people that will likely push more dovish policy in the Federal Reserve. I mean, I have to remind some of my viewers that the the Federal Reserve, yes, Jerome Powell is currently the chairman, and, and he's the one that does a lot of the speaking at the meetings and whatnot, but the other board members, not only do they give speeches, not only do they have their own thoughts on it, but they also vote, right? There's kind of a rotation uh, of, of who votes and who doesn't vote, voting members, non-voting members. On the Fed board, and so those nominations are akin to, you know, a, a Trump nomination to the to the Supreme Court for so and so, you know, Gorsuch or, or Kavanaugh, right, and swinging the the court to or towards a more conservative slant. Similar thing on on the Fed board of governors. It's just not a lifetime appointment; it's four years. So, that was kind of this big move up in gold. It kind of held steady through most of the end of the week until. Friday morning, when we had the payroll data come out. And I want to talk some, some about that. Basically, what the payroll data showed was strong numbers. I think that the actual number was 220,000, which was above expectations. And that's basically what we need to know is above expectations. The market saw this as a strong jobs number. And how that translates is well, now the Fed might not be as dovish as we would have liked, meaning. Not as weak of a dollar, and gold and silver moved down. Now, since then, as you can see in this one-day chart, gold especially has actually recovered some of that loss there. Uh, as I speak, just shy of fourteen hundred, which it's it's been re- remarkably resilient. You know, f- following its move up less than a month ago above its key resi- resistance level of $1,350, 1360, it hasn't moved down below really below thirteen eighty since then. In fact. Even today, it found resistance just below 1390 following that payroll data. So, this has been very strong. I think many people are expecting that, hey, after that breakout, it's reasonable to expect a move down below 1350 again, but but the resistance has been broken. Well, thus far, that's not at all what's happening. We're continuing to see a big, uh, very strong bid for safe haven assets, including gold and. Bonds. now, another thing I want to note on this one month chart is that, as you can see, silver is still underperforming gold. You can see this in this uh, gold to silver ratio chart from Kitco uh, currently standing uh, about ninety three and a half It continues to rise now i you know the, the ceiling on this I, I see as maybe a hundred to one i don 't even know if it 's going to get that high. I think it 's only a matter of time. Uh, quite literally weeks, months before, silver starts to gain more and more interest, or at least that interest is reflected in the price. In fact, uh, there's an article recently, actually yesterday, July 4th. By the way, happy 4th to, to all my viewers. I, I didn't put out a video yesterday because of that. But yesterday, uh, this is from Kitco once again, Anna Golub- Golubova, silver sees largest daily ETF inflow in a year. This is from BMO Global Commodities Research. Quote, while gold ETF flows have hit the headlines over the past month, over the past week, silver has seen a large net positive change. In particular, yesterday saw the largest single daily inflow over the past year at 5.55 million ounces. This marked... Uh, the fifth consecutive day of gains for silver. With gold having priced and potential rate cuts extremely quickly, we view silver as a catch-up trade at present, particularly if retail investors help to lift bar and coin demand. And, and I got to think that at these prices, not only for silver being you know right around $15 still, but also the fact that gold has moved up so much in recent months, that, yeah, you're going to start to see this re- reflected in coin and bar demand. You know, ETF inflow is important and all, but you guys know my stance on that if, if you've listened to me long enough that I'm doubtful of, of how much impact that actually has in the physical market. right? Is that ETF uh, uh, um, inventory, uh, the, the silver and gold backing things like the SLV and GLD, actually there? Right? I think that's a question we need to be asking. But when you see it reflected in coin and bar demand or large investors taking physical delivery, whether it's to segregated accounts in, in vaults or coin and bar demand, Packing stackers like you and I—that's uh, when you really see that price move. I think sustainable movement from from physical demand, and so that's what I'm waiting for, really, to see that reflected in the price of silver. It's gonna be a catch-up game, and, and don't get me wrong—that ratio can continue to move up. But eventually, I think it's going to move down pretty rapidly. Uh, and, and, and I still have very high hopes for silver. If nothing else, this is another week where, another weekend where you can buy silver at something like 15 bucks an ounce spot, right? Plus, plus your premium. Um, if you hear sounds in the background, that's by the way, just my, uh, my, my five month old plane with some, uh, some toys in her rocker. But anyways, moving on from silver and gold, which, again, very interesting week and, and very positive. Never mind what happened this morning. The fact that gold is closing around 5, 1,400 is, is great news. And and the fact that silver has seen a spike in demand recently during what would otherwise be the summer doldrums. Maybe that's what I'll, I'll title this video, talking about summer doldrums for, for silver and gold. Thus far, it's been anything but that, right? We, we still have a fair bit of summer to go, most of July and August, but... It's been an exciting summer thus far. Hardly what I think many people expected, including myself. Now, moving on to other markets, this is kind of the chart that I think every investor is watching right now. What you're looking at is the percent gain or loss for the S&P 500 and the 10-year yield. Over the last six months, so of course, yield operates at inverse to price. So basically, you know, if if we inverted this, you'd see them both moving up—bonds and stocks moving up as a whole over the last six months. That is unusual, to say the least, over a six-month period, right? Over the long term, we know that that bonds are in a massive bubble, and we know that that stocks, as a whole, are in a bubble as well. They've consistently been moving up um, for for many many years, uh, but but this is unusual. Because usually bonds are seen as a safe haven asset, right? And, and that's what we're seeing worldwide right now. You know, the number, the, the, the amount of, of negative yielding sovereign debt right now continues to move up to higher and higher levels. We're talking over $13 trillion, with a T, $13 trillion worth of global sovereign debt is currently yielding negative rates. Mostly European countries and Japan, right? The US isn't in that camp yet. We're still positive rates. But still, I mean, look at the US yield curve right now. The entire thing is inverted. Meaning the entire yield curve, last time I checked, is below the Fed funds rate. That is insane. And what's that signaling is is a massive appetite for safe haven assets. In fact you've even seen it in the amount of money that is moving out of equity funds and ETFs and whatnot it's in the tens or the hundreds of billions of dollars. Most of it's moving into bonds, safe haven assets or or to some extent, you know, gold or silver. And yet equities, the stock market continues to move up here in the United States basically at all-time highs. This is insane. This is unsustainable. What is going on here? This chart is totally out of whack from from conventional wisdom. Now, people have come up with explanations very reasonable ones for instance that stocks are are being propped up by by more and more corporate buybacks uh and and that bonds obviously are being propped up by by more and more flows into bond funds but but the two points that i would make is a those corporate buybacks are not sustainable and they're not rational at this point and and there's no reason to to believe that that's should that does not justify higher valuations right just because the number of shares are going down or because. Uh, you know publicly traded shares, or because corporations are buying them back that that doesn 't justify the valuations and on the other hand, the fact that over thirteen trillion dollars worth of worldwide government debt is is yielding below zero percent that 's not great either right why does that make sense i mean now now there's there's certain reasons that corporations do that or, or governments or i should say institutions and investors do that right whether it has to do with reserve requirements or because uh it's in their um i don't know what you what you call it, maybe their charter or or what they're basically they have to do whether we're talking about pension funds or hedge funds or wealth funds or whatever there there's buyers out there for for this government debt but it, like would you do that Right, I think most of my viewers wouldn't feel super comfortable holding uh, 10-year bonds, U.S. bonds at you know around 2% yield. Would you buy you know German bonds, 10-year bonds at like negative? Again, that's my five-month-old talking. If you can hear her, that doesn't make sense either. And that's another huge risk because what happens? She's got a lot to say about bonds. What happens when that reverses? In fact, I saw an excellent tweet that, that I want to to show you real quick. Okay, so I'll put it in perspective. We'll look at something like German ten-year. We'll go to ter, German ten-year yields, okay? German buns, and, and I don't want this in percentage because that just another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sorts everything. So uh, I'll go to normal. View. Okay, so this is what, what it's yielding right now. Negative 3.63%. And if we look at this over a longer term here. You can see that the last time it was negative, you have to go to 2016. And then prior to that, it, it, I don't think it was ever negative before that, right? Going back to the early 2000s, we're talking you know, 5%. And, and Okay, financial crisis, we see them forced down to 4 3%. Okay, now they're negative, right? That's a, that's a story for a lot of, of European bonds as well as Japanese bonds. Well, a great channel out there, Monaco sixty four, who I suggest you uh, uh, follow. He actually tweeted this out, and and this is the price in the the, the actual price uh, of of German bonds, right? And if, it's hard to see here, but this scale goes back to two thousand five here, two thousand ten here, two thousand fifteen, and eventually two thousand twenty. But what you're seeing in the price action is basically a move up from from like what eleven thousand, I think that says in in uh, two thousand eight up to like seventeen thousand here, you know what happens when that reverses whether it's inflationary pressures or people realizing that that government bonds are are not yielding enough that they need greater yield or 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 i mean it's I don't see a lot of default risk with a lot of these bonds, but more so the inflation risk because of more and more money printing to to fund deficits, right? What happens when that reverses? I mean, that is a huge bubble that we need to keep in mind. Never mind what's happening in the stock market, and it's worldwide. It's worldwide. It's not just the U.S. market or the bond, uh, German bond market, or or uh, JGBs or whatever. It's 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 almost every member of the EU right now, with the exception of like maybe Italy. I don't I don't know if Italy's negative yet. Maybe on some of their shorter dated ones. Uh, it's it's the United States, it's Japan, you know some of the biggest bond markets in the world, and it's a huge risk. It's it's it blows my mind, and and when that bubble pops, like the stock market bubble, when that pops, yeah, that's going to have a huge effect on on the wealth effect of the stock market, investor sentiment, consumer sentiment. Okay, yeah, when the bond market pops, when that bubble pops, it's game over for the world financial system. Moving on, um, I, I wanted to talk about. We'll start. We'll start here. This is from Zero Hedge talking about um, the Fed in their. Uh, let's see here, their monetary policy report prior to Powell's semiannual Humphrey Hawkins testimony before Congress um, next week, and 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 this is prior to today's payroll data. But basically, this is the Fed coming out with with I guess their take on, on monetary policy and 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 the factors influencing it, like inflation and growth and whatnot. And, and I want to point out a couple of things. Um, first of all, big picture here. <laughs> this this quote right here. Uh, this is from Zero Hedge. The poor wording from the June FOMC statement saying officials would closely monitor incoming data and, quote, this is from the Fed, act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. That's kind of the, the Fed's way of saying whatever it takes, you know, similar to the to the Mario Draghi statement. But that's kind of been the Fed's goal ever since... QE and 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 zero percent interest rates were were uh, born into existence, and the expansion began eventually following the Great Recession. Act as appropriate to sustain the expansion, whatever it takes, right? Interest rate cuts, QE, whatever, uh, and, and that's kind of a, what the Fed is saying here. And so there's there's a lot of mumbo jumbo up here talking about how uh, the the uh, soft inflation. Um, Let's see here Appear to be transitory Meaning Inflation somewhat down But it's it's it Still hasn't changed a whole lot It's still fairly close to their To their long-term goal of 2% Which is totally bogus Because They're looking at so-called uh, Core infla- inflation Right Excluding food and energy uh, It still understates inflation And there's 1,001 problems with this But anyways um, Basically what they're saying is And my interpretation of this I guess And maybe I'm wrong Is that Maybe they're not as their view isn't as dovish as many people maybe think it is. Now that's subject to change. But when it's all said and done, if the market's pricing in cuts, if the market's basically demanding cuts, if the economy's demanding cuts, there—I mean—the big term takeaway from this is that long-term they're going to act as appropriate to sustain the expansion, rate cuts, QE, and whatever else it takes to to sustain that. Uh, but but pretty soon it's it's not going to be a. Uh, you know they're going to have to change this wording it's not going to be act as appropriate to sustain the expansion it's going to be act as appropriate to prevent uh, a total collapse right or a total you know prevent a you know pick your bubble from popping uh, prevent further decline in the equity markets prevent further disruptions in the um, leveraged loan market or corporate debt markets or um the drop in consumer sentiment or uh, uh, prevent further declines in employment, right? That's going to be what they're eventually going to be. They're going to be more reactive than proactive. What they're doing right now is, is I guess you could call it react, uh, proactive. They're, they're trying to get ahead of this next recession. But but a rate cut or two is not going to stop the next recession. A full 2.5% rate cut from the Fed on July probably still wouldn't stop the next recession. Just might postpone it by, by you know a couple months. And, and that's about it. I mean, the Fed is running out of ammunition. Um, finally, I want to talk about uh, this piece of news. Right, Oftentimes I finish up with a little bit of geopolitics. Uh, this is talking about a, a really interesting story over the last day or two, and maybe some of you guys missed it on, on your July 4th celebrations, but this was about a an oil tanker. They actually have the route here on Zero Hedge. An oil tanker that was sailing from Iran with Iranian oil. Rather than going through the Suez Canal, and what the Red Sea instead of to instead chose to go all the way around Africa through the Gibraltar Strait into the Mediterranean, ultimately bound for Syria to bring I think it was like two million barrels of crude oil from Iran to Syria now Iran as of right now has somewhat of a land route to Syria through Iraq, which has becoming more and more friendly to Iran but but obviously they don't have a viable uh, pipeline to, to get their oil to Syria. And so they're finding other ways to get it there. Uh, this is them trying to get around sanctions obviously syria is is you know good friends with the Iranian regime. The Iranians have helped them immensely in in maintaining power um the assad regime and long story short, around Gibraltar, which is of course that small u k fortress off uh you know on the the southern coast of spain that the u k maintains despite it being right next to spain uh the u k went in with um Helicopters and repelled a whole bunch of Marines onto this tanker, Grace One tanker, it's called, and, and captured it, impounded it, basically. And, of course, where was it? Uh, somewhere, I think, um, of course, John Bolton, as you can see here. Excellent news. UK has detained the super tanker, Grace One, laden with Iranian oil bound for Syria in violation of EU sanctions. So that's, I mean, that's John Bolton for you. Uh, but, but Syria and Iran and some Arab commentators have even said that this amounts to to, you know, piracy right that's the ridiculousness of of today's i guess dollar centric world the uk of all the european nations is i think maybe most favorable to helping the us in in our crusade against iran uh through through sanctions right cutting off their exports and and this oil tanker and and her cargo to syria was a, a, an attempt to bypass these sanctions and and the uk was more than happy to sees this tanker now iran's basically threatening hey we're gonna you know it would only be right for us to uh respond in kind and seize a a uk bound oil tanker whether it's uk flagged or not you know this one was was uh flagged uh panama flagged uh tanker but but it was you know iranian oil that that's not good news right um, if Iran actually goes forward with this. And this is something that people haven't been paying a ton of attention to. I mean, if this was U.S. seizing an oil tanker, I think it would be a little bit different. Maybe since it's U.K. and not the U.S., people don't see it as, as that great of an escalation. But it is. I mean, this is $2 million of crude oil that I would argue the Iran probably has a, has a sovereign right to be able to ship through international waters— to syria and yet it's been seized by uh british marines and, and as far as i know is you know you can check this online it's sitting off the coast of spain right now it, you know not doing a whole lot uh i i don't know what to say about this guys i mean this is as some people pointed out you know amounting to piracy i mean this is the tyranny of the u.s dollar in the u.s empire in action right now right cutting off iranians iran's lifeblood which is oil uh, in hopes of of starving her people uh fomenting uh resistance or revolt uh trying to cause as much pain as possible to the people and to the country hopefully in trying to to bring them to the bargaining table uh which is very similar to our approach with north korea uh but it's also been our approach to north korea for for many many decades and it hasn't worked as of yet right uh What's going on more recently with the Trump negotiations with North Korea is anything, if anything, has worked far, far better than decades worth of of trying to to uh, curtail sanctions here and there in, in exchange for for small uh, agreements with North Koreans, which they usually break. But but the North Korean regime and the Iranian regime are very different, right? They're in a very different situation, um, and, and I don't see Iran just stepping down and and being willing to you know, be okay with just being totally contained and and be okay with basically a starving population and being cut off from their from their primary export their primary uh economic export and that's oil. No, this is this is heading one of two directions. I mean, either Iran's going to continue to try and do this, export to countries like Syria, maybe China, uh India, uh Turkey, etc and that's going to further raise escalations as as the us and and others try to to stop them from doing that or or else uh, iran themselves are are going to do something to get themselves out of this predicament and and by that i don't mean going to the to the bargaining table i i don't i don't see that being a viable option right now right and that can change but but right now with bolton with pompeo and even with trump not really making a whole lot of of movement in that direction. Like like Trump will say and, and he'll say he's he's ready to talk whenever, but but the actions of him and his administration are very much moving in the opposite direction. This is moving towards escalation, not de-escalation. As a whole, I mean, yes, he showed some restraint in regards to retaliating against the the, drown, the downing of a drone, uh, and and the um, tanker. Uh, attacks that were reportedly by by Iran a, a couple of weeks ago but but as a whole i mean the the story has still been you know more troops in the middle east the b52 bombers f22s f35s and you know, whatever else the the carrier strike group to the region um, more and more containment of them and and more and more sanctions and i mean when it's all said and done this is not going to end well and i hope that that cooler heads prevail whether that's you know tucker carlson if it comes to that, Tucker Carlson, you know, in the ear of, of Trump and telling him, "Hey, this is crazy. Your advisors, Bolton, Pompeo, it's crazy the, the road that they're pushing you down." Or if it's if it's Russia or China helping to mediate this, or even the EU. Um, but I don't know. This this is this is far too too I think close for comfort. Uh, in many ways, what we've seen in the past a um, couple weeks in Iran this is This is tenser I would say than, than the North Korean situation in two thousand and seventeen. Um, I, I think I, I just don 't know if the the mechanisms are in place to prevent a broader escalation of a conflict with Iran and, and in the middle east and, and I think Iran is much much in much better better to fight back than North Korea is as well for geographic reasons and for the fact that they have some some pretty decent medical or medical military technologies. Uh, whether it's intermediate range, ballistic missiles, uh, anti-ship missiles, their submarine force, their, their, their Navy, which largely consists of small ships capable of swarming, the the geographic fact that they're a large country and that they're close to the Hormuz Strait. Uh, I mean, all those things put them at an advantage And their air defense systems. Not saying that they could win in a war against the U.S., but I think they feel much more confident in that type of confrontation than, say, North Korea or uh, Iraq. Back in the early two thousands, so we'll, we'll see where this heads, but but it it certainly I think is going to be again reflected in precious metals price shortly in the future, and I think that that the story line in in the Middle East is not going to move to de escalation or to peace or anything like that. Uh, it's only a matter of days or weeks before this once again uh, flares up, whether it's Iran seizing a UK oil tanker or or more more tanker strikes in the Hormuz Strait or whatever it is. Um, I, somehow I don't think further sanctions are, are going to convince Iran to, to back down. So as always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.